Welcome to True Crime from A to Z. Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Shakira. As far as Sydney has told me, this is a crazy case that has lots of twists and turns. So get ready for the story of Air India 182. And I have to tell you, I know nothing about this case. And Sydney basically told me not to learn anything about this case. She wanted to get my genuine reactions. Let's just get my genuine reaction and tell the story of Air India 182. I think one person telling the story and another person genuinely reacting is a really cool and great way of doing things. So I'm excited about this. Me too. Hey, this is Steve from Great Lakes True Crime. We tell stories from Ohio and the rest of the Lower Great Lakes region. Give us a listen on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Great Lakes True Crime. This content is of a violent and disturbing nature. It may not be appropriate for all audiences. This case today is related to air terrorism. And if this makes you uncomfortable, this may not be a case you want to listen to. And it may be extra hard on some people. So be ready for that because this is a a rough one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get started. All right. So in the... (laughs) You ready? Yep, I'm ready. It's a crazy one. I just want to put this out there. I have looked over the names several times... And I and and my husband tried to help. <laughs> so this story is about a lot of Indian people. So I want to apologize profusely right now. If I of the news, I am so sorry. It is not intended in any way. We never intend on in offending anybody. Mm-mm. But this is an important story, and it really needs to be told. Mm-hmm. So, in the early 1980s, India was experiencing a violent civil unrest between the Sikhs and the Hindu factions. While we can't go into much detail, the short version of this is that in 1983, armed Sikh separatists took over Sikhism's holiest shrine, the Golden Temple Complex, which is located in Amistar, India. Inside the complex, the separatist leader Jarnail Singh Bindral wanted the Sikh homeland called Khalistan from the northern Indian state of Punjab. In June 1984, India's Prime Minister Indril Gandhi ordered the Indian army to attack the temple to get rid of Bindral and his followers. Instead, This killed him and hundreds of innocent people. The Mm. swift backlash and demonstrations occurred around the world, especially in Vancouver, Canada. Thousands of Sikh protested. They wanted violence against Gandhi, the prime minister, and the Indian government, a group of extremists that really wanted this to happen was the Badar Kalasa, founder Tawinder Singh Parmer, Lieutenant Ajib Singh Bagri. Now remember these two names for later. 
they're going to become important. Okay. As let, let us move forward, because sadly on October 31st, 1984, Gandhi was assassinated by own Sikh bodyguards. That's so creepy that that happened on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of ironic. <laughs> I agree. There's going to be a lot of cases like that, though. Yeah, I. it feels like that happens so often that really bad, ironic things happen on Halloween. On Halloween, yeah. So this sparked an anti-Sikh protest across India. This left thousands dead. That's Unfortunately, so things only got worse. Mm. Even a prominent modern Sikh who was a lawyer in Vancouver was attacked and beaten. Oh no. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's so, so sad. And it was all just because of um, him being a Sikh? Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Yep, because Gandhi's Sikh bodyguards, it just feels like it was back and forth between mm. the two groups. One for, one side would do something, then the other side would, would retaliate. That doesn't solve much. So that's No. Revenge never, never helps. We're going to jump over to Canada to talk about a couple of things really quick. So CSIS is the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Okay. At the time, it was very, very new. I think only having existed for like 11 months new. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is like brand new. Like, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remember the two leaders from the Bavar Kalasa extremist group? They were keeping close tabs on them in Vancouver. The CSIS was. Okay. The CSIS agents were following them and listening in on their phone calls from March to June 1985. They had made a huge file on him and his associates. On June 19th, two Canadian Pacific Airline tickets were bought. Each ticket would then connect to the Air India flight. These tickets were paid in cash and picked up in their downtown Vancouver office. The tickets were for an M. Singh and L. Singh. Okay. M. Singh would go from Toronto, then to Air Indian 182. Elsing would go to Tokyo and then on to another Air India flight. However, on June 22nd, the day of the flight, several suitcases were checked in at the Vancouver International Airport for these two tickets. And this is before they really checked bags and stuff the same way that they do in airports mm-hmm. now, correct? Yes. Mm hmm. This was in the 1980s, so definitely before mm-hmm. that happened. Definitely before. But neither of these passengers showed up to board their planes. Uh-oh. Now, jumping halfway across the world, it's okay. June 23rd, 1985, and we're in Tokyo, Japan's Narita Airport. Two okay. baggage handlers uploading suitcases from the same Canadian Pacific Airlines flights. Their names were Hidihuru Koda and Hideo Asano. They were killed instantly after grabbing the bags marked for Air India flight. 
Oh my god. The bag's ignited. Oh no. Now, let's head back to the Air India 182. The Air India Flight 182 was a Boeing 747 that operated from Vancouver to Toronto, which was then called Montreal to London, and then finally to Delhi and Bombay. Many on board were Canadian originating from India. Mm. It was flown by Captain Narendra Singh Hansen. And co-pilot was Sadwinder Singh Hinder. This plane had 307 passengers and 22 crew members, which is a total of 329 people. Wow. This, This is including 280 Canadians, 27 British Canadians, and 22 Indians which 82 of those were children. Wow. Some of the people that got on the plane, I would like to tell a little bit about some of the people. I can't tell about everyone, unfortunately. If we yeah, went on and on, on we forever. Everyone, we would probably have to do a five-part episode. So yeah. unfortunately, we can't mention everyone by name. We wish we, we could. But but we do respect and honor them as well. Yes, of course. We re- respect and honor every single one of them. Every single one of them deserves to be respected. But we just, by the nature of podcasting, we, c- we don't have time to mention everyone, unfortunately. But we would like to mention these lovely people. They are no more important than anyone else. These are just some of the people we happen to find. Lakshmanarayana Babu and Padmini Trulapati, two sons, Sanjay, 14, and Deepak, 11. They boarded the plane on their own. And Babu, an accountant, and Padmini, a pediatrician, they had immigrated from India to Canada in 1982 as they felt the move would give Sanjay and Deepak a broader perspective and a great and greater opportunities. Their sons had demonstrated academic excellence and strong moral values, so they were good boys. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. They seem like really great boys. Yeah, they really did. They're good, hardworking kids. They love their family. Indira, age 30. That's a good name. Mm-hmm. I agree. So she had grown up in Canada and rotten her father. He bought her a plane ticket so that she could see India and the country and their family that they had come from and spend time with a relative she might not get to see once the responsibilities of work and adult life set in. And so she was heading to India to be able to see them, which is super awesome. It's always good to see those kind of like. The extended family who didn't come um, with you to the other country, it's nice to be able to see them. Yeah, exactly. Then I'd like to talk about the two sisters, Shayamala, 18, and Krithika, 15, were young. Even though they're hard to say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
just because names are harder to say doesn't mean that they are any less cool. And I think these definitely fit in that category. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so these were young and energetic students of Applewood Heights Secondary School in Mississauga, Ontario. They also had their own dance school, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, I'm awesome. I'm a dancer, and so I love dance. And the fact that they're 18 I always and wanted to dance. And 15, then they have their own dance studio. That's pretty amazing. That's so fun. And their studio had several students. The summer holidays had just begun in 1985 when the sisters looked forward to... So I'm really sorry about this name that I'm about to pronounce. It's a little bit more complicated, so please bear with me. I'm really sorry. But Baratana Time Dance okay, Training. I think it's Baratana Time. Their dance training from their guru, Adyarn. Layman in India, and I believe that is why they boarded the flight to Probably. India. And again, sorry for the names. There's just Indian names are rarely confusing for people who aren't used to them. Yeah, we are not Indian, and so we are not familiar with everything from that culture and the names. We're not accustomed to them, so we are sorry. But these lovely people, along with many others, were all on the plane 182. So now, the Air India Flight 182 is currently over Shannon, Ireland, and nearing the London Heathrow Airport to refuel. And okay. the plane was flying east at flight level 310, or 31,000 feet up in the air, mm-hmm. when suddenly a suitcase bomb detonated this suitcase was located in the rear cargo hold it blew a hole in the fuselage which caused the airplane to split from front to back which would be so scary i can't even imagine how scary that would be i'd be so so scared oh yeah and all 329 people were thrown out of the plane. Oh, my gosh. I'm when scared of heights as it is. This is going to make it so much worse. <laughs> so I just want to put a plug in here right now. Planes are still the safest way to travel. This is just a once-in-a-lifetime happenstance thing to happen in more often than not does not happen. I've been on planes several times and I've always had a safe flight. These poor people just happen to be on the in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I've never been so on a plane and I have high anxiety, but I would be more than willing to still get on a plane. So Yes. I just want to put that out there because I I yeah. don't want this to Mm-mm. help bother anybody in- with planes because they still are the safest yeah. way to travel. Regardless of what happened in this really sad, tragic situation. At 7.13 a.m., Air India 182 disappeared from air traffic control's radar. And at this time, we would like to take a break to hear from our sponsors. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We are back and we, hey. we're going to continue with our story about what happened to the Air India 182 
The plane had just barely crashed before the break, and it just disappeared from air traffic controls. There was a nearby merchant vessel called the Loretane Forest going from Quebec to Dublin, Ireland. It received an emergency call at 8.30 a.m. They soon found the wreckage. It was only bodies and parts of the plane. So this part is going to, just by nature of the crash, it is, we don't go into a lot of detail, but it, it's still it graphic. is a really, really hard part to read. It, it's really hard for me to tell. So just okay. be ready for this. On board, Daniel Brown and Mark Stagg spent hours in a small lifeboat. They tried their best to recover all the bodies while fighting the waves of the ocean. Next, a British Royal Air Force reconnaissance plane and helicopter were nearby and extremely quick to respond. The plane dropped flares to guide vessels and helicopters. An Irish naval ship called the Aisling also arrived and deployed an inflatable boat with three people. Eventually, 19 vessels were on the scene, from warships to even small fishing boats. Tons of people came to help to be able to find the people that were in the wreckage. And I mean, good on them that they would come and do that. Yeah. 19 vessels came to their aid. Good on them. But sadly, sadly, only 132 bodies were found out of the 329 people that were on board and one of there the most were no survivors besides losing somebody in your family one of the most devastating things is to not be able to bury them the way that you want to to not have the body to be able to say goodbye that's yeah. one of the most devastating things for people is you know it's devastating enough to lose somebody but to not be able to have their body and be able to have a, like the proper funeral. That's so yeah, it's just heartbreaking. And they worked really hard to be able to find everyone that they could, but they could only it is, find and, and I really hope that those on the 19 vessels and those who tried to help don't blame themselves that they couldn't no, find them they because they did their very everything best. they could. They worked so hard, but it sounds like it, it crashed in the ocean. There's only so mm -hmm. much that you can there's do when so it comes to finding. When they sink but too low, there's only so low we can go. Yeah, and point. they were fighting the waves and everything that comes yeah. with that. And, so, and if they were only on like small fishing boats. I know that boats, I'm grateful that they found that many. Yeah. Yeah, and if they were only on small fishing boats, those waves could, you know, could capsize at you at any time. And so you've got to be so careful. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So this crash is named the third worst disaster in aviation history. And <sighs> it was one of the biggest mass killing in Canadian history. Wow. And news of the two bombings reached Canadians on the morning of the 23rd of June. The media were quick to link these two bombings. The bombing that killed the two baggage people in Tokyo and then the plane crash of Air India 182. Those two bombings were quickly connected 
and they're connected to the British Columbian Sikh separatist seeking retaliation against the Indian government. Immediately, mm. an investigation was started to find out what happened. When CSIS agents heard about the bombing, they obviously linked it to Parmar. The okay. main agency in charge was the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. However, because of this, CSIS didn't really know how much to share and what exactly the protocol was. And this caused some problems. Initially, many RCMP officers were assigned because this really was the biggest mass murder in Canadian history and they needed all the help they could get and so many many people were assigned to work on this case to find out what happened to these poor people that lost their life. Yeah. An investigation did narrow it down to Riot Parmar so the these these people these are all separate people Ray Matt, okay. Armar, Bagri, and someone called Sirjan Singh Gill. Sirjan had actually resigned from Barbar Kasla the day before the bombings. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The police executed search warrants in November of 1985. However, this next part may shock you. I, I know this part shocked me. And this, am I gonna be? Am I gonna have to sit down for this? Even though I'm already sitting, <laughs> you're gonna have to resit down over and over again. Okay, okay. <laughs> it, it just be ready for your jaw to be permanently on the ground from okay. about now on. Okay, it is crazy. This okay. just just blows I'm as my mind. As I can be. Okay, I'm glad that you've prepared yourself, but I don't think you've prepared yourself enough. I said I'm as prepared as I can be. (laughs) So, the only, only charges laid at this time were against Parmer and Rayet. No one else. And not even a serious crime. They they were not even accused of a serious crime. They were accused of possession of explosives for the bomb tests that they performed. You've got to be kidding me. Oh my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. So you may ask, how did they even get this charge? Well, let me tell you. Okay. CSIS agents on June 4th had been tailing Parmer and his associates where he met with Inderjit Sig. Rayet and three other people that were only known by their last names and initials. And they drove to a wooded area out of town and tested the explosives that were eventually used in the two bombings, the one in Tokyo and the one in Air India 182. Wait, wait, wait. So the charges didn't even have to do with Air India? It had to do with something completely separate? Yeah, it was possession of explosives, remember? No, I'm saying, but it it was just because of what happened before it. It's not because they Mm -hmm. had possession of them when they were in Air India. Oh my gosh, my brain. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But, however, 
the charges against Parmer were dropped. And Rayet oh only received a $2,000 fine. So neither of them even but ended up worry. in jail or anything. Oh my but don't worry. We're continuing. Don't worry. There is, there is I more. I don't know how much right now. <laughs> oh, I know. Go ahead. Oh, I know. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. So, but by the mid-1990s, this investigation was still ongoing. Thank heavens. Yes. And Gary Bass was an RCMP inspector who was highly critical of CSIS because they... Okay. Sorry. I need to take a moment to take a breath because this makes me really angry. So... Okay. I'm nervous. (laughs) RCMP inspector was highly critical of CSIS because they erased their wiretap recording. What? No. No. I don't even understand. I don't understand. What were they doing? Why? I don't know. He said that charges could have been filed. Much earlier, if How the tapes were those? those are so saved. Oh my god! No, gosh. I don't. As far as I can tell, it was erased. Lost. I know, but I'm saying, like, why would you do that? I know. I'm <sighs> like seeing different colors right now. <laughs> so I know, but however, <sighs> the RCMP did get some witnesses, so there is some light. A little light. (laughs) Even after all this time, they still got a witness. Tara Singhayer was a newspaper publisher who had written about Air India suspects. Okay. She was shot and paralyzed in 1988 after publishing this incriminating information. Oh my god. And after the... So frustrating. And then after the RCMP sent their evidence and files to the prosecutor, Hayer was shot and killed his home's garage. What the? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh no. So their witness is is now dead. Or not alive. Yeah, they someone really did not want to have this case Someone to be able to covering go forward. Because I've heard about about cases like this where the witnesses get taken mm-hmm. out one by one until there's just it's no one left. It's a cover up. It's, you know, like they don't want this to get out. They don't want a trial to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh exactly. And so the Vancouver School Board custodian was also arrested, but released the day after he had been a sus- suspect for a while, but there just wasn't enough evidence to convict him. Which is a very sad, but like, you know, normal thing that happens. Yeah, but basically everyone else involved was acquitted later for lack of evidence, except only for Rayet. Oh we have evidence against Rayet. At least there's one. Because everyone else. 
Everyone else was deported. Get away with it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Ah. This is probably the most frustrating case we have done yet. Like, oh my gosh. But it gets worse. I promise. (laughs) I'm sorry, but we're not done. (laughs) But Rayet was on the criminal indictment. He had to be extradited extradited from England for the Narita Airport bombing in Japan. And for first degree murder of the 329 Air India victims. The Mm -hmm. surprising thing is that they had to build a new secure courtroom that cost them about seven million dollars to be able to do to bring him to trial oh my gosh yeah pretty intense but there's a lot of butts in this case for real yeah he pled guilty only to manslaughter nothing else manslaughter is an accident and the prosecutor thought that he mm-hmm yeah, putting a bomb on a plane. Oh, I didn't think it was going to explode. Manslaughter oh, is more like, you know, a bomb would explode and the dumb. plane would crash. Yeah, like, manslaughter is more like doing something you shouldn't be doing and it ends up killing somebody. This, they did this on purpose. Mm-hmm, exactly. I didn't know that putting a bomb and having it explode would make the plane crash. What? Who knew? Wow, that's Who news to me. news to me. Oh, my gosh. This is so frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the sad thing is that the prosecutors thought that he would testify and give them enough evidence on the people involved in the plot, but that wasn't the case. So they just, <sighs> in this case, they just had, like, no evidence. They hardly had any evidence on Rayet, let alone Anyone. even understanding what the plot was. Or what yeah. happened? They don't don't know very much at all. <sighs> and so, his only sentence, he was only sentenced to five years in prison and was released. Oh my gosh. All those lives and he just gets released. But, at least he gets this. However, in 2010... Okay. Riot was back in court, this time for lying under oath during the trial. There you go. There you go. You know it's bad when even the judge, who was Ian Josephson, called Riot an unmitigated liar. That made me laugh so hard. The judge called him an unmitigated liar. Just like, yeah, you know what you did. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, exactly. So, he was sentenced to nine years for perjury, which this was the longest sentence ever for perjury in a Canadian court. At least that's something. Yeah, but, like I said, there's a lot of buts in this case. He was released after serving only two-thirds of his sentence. 
Oh my god. And then for the remainder, he was on parole. <laughs> Why? Why? This case. And I apologize so that I'm laughing. I just laugh when I'm frustrated. So it's not funny. I just laugh when I'm super frustrated. I know it's it's so frustrating. There are several failings that happened in this case that yeah. made it so they just came up short in this case. Yeah, for for sure. This tragedy could have turned out so much differently. Okay. There were so many factors to, to consider here. One is obviously the airport security and scanning of and checking of bags. Like we talked Which, about earlier, this was before they actually started scanning bags. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. if we had started it just a little bit earlier, 331 lives could have been saved because the 329 on the plane and then the two baggage men mm-hmm. could have been saved if those bags had been checked. Yep. And however, there was also a turf war between yep. the RCMP and CSIS and other government agencies. Basically, rivalries, unclear policy, and bad intelligence work led to the bombing. And not only that, but in no justice being served for all those lives that were lost. It's so sad when you have a bunch of different agencies coming together to do work. Because so often information gets lost because of uh, unclear policies and boundaries and everything and so unfortunately that was the case here and information people was lost walk over and- each other's toe. people mm-hmm. walk over each other's toes and um evidence gets lost and it just becomes a real mess mm-hmm. yeah and in 2010 a 4,000 page five volume report was released and it had 64 recommendations on things that could be changed and improved. The week later at, was the 25th anniversary of this horrible crash. Tragedy, yeah. The then Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, made a formal apology, offering monetary compensation for the families of the victims. Mm. This... I think this part is probably the hardest part for me to tell. Even with how frustrating the case and the investigation was, this this has to be the hardest part. And this is why yeah. I'm so grateful that we're telling this case, this these people's story, because yeah. they need to be told. And sadly, the Canadians were very indifferent at the time of the bombing. The families felt ignored. And probably deeply hurt that justice wasn't served. And that's probably in their right to feel like their family deserves justice. Yes, everyone deserves justice. And these pe- these family members definitely deserve justice. But at least now Absolutely. there is a memorial to all the victims of the Air India bombing. It oh, is good. located in Lachine Canal, Monk Island, where you can go and you can visit this memorial to these poor people that lost their lives in this case and i i'm so grateful for this opportunity to be able to tell this story because these poor people need to have their story told 
we need to break the indifference that has happened about this this terrible story. Um, mo- a lot of Canadians don't know much about this case because how it was the investigation was treated and how it was just how people's reaction were toward it. And but yeah. they deserve they deserve recognition they deserve because be people yeah. lost their lives in this 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 horrible this horrible crash. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts or theories or reflections um, about this now? I don't have any what you theories. Really heard? But yeah. um, reflection-wise, um, I just really, really hope that the families of the victims do know that there are people out there who are devastated and want their family like want them to know that they are loved and that their family member is remembered and I'm so glad that they put up a memorial for them because they deserve Mm -hmm. to have their name out there to be able to say because I feel like in a lot of different situations um, it's this magnitude especially you don't think about the fact that every single person who lost their life had a life they had families they had friends some of them may have had girlfriends or boyfriends or you know husbands wives children they had lives they were people mm-hmm. and it's important to remember that they existed because i feel like yeah. that's why the families were so deeply hurt is it's like what about my child what about the person we lost what about my sister yeah. what about you know I'd also like and to say really that, quick, you know, so mm-hmm. in to mention some of the families, Babu and Padmini, the parents of Sanjay and Deepak that I had mentioned earlier that were on the plane that mm-hmm. were one of the victims, the mm-hmm. Sanjay and Deepak's parents, so Babu and Padmini, they travel to Ireland every year to visit the, the memorial to pay respect to their That's boys right. that they lost in this tragic crash. And the father of Indira, he mm-hmm. lives in a retirement home, I believe. Mm-hmm. He has pictures of all of his children and grandchildren and everyone up on his wall, but he has kind of a shrine for his daughter in Indira. Mm-hmm. to remember her and the wonderful person that she was and to because remember people yeah they meant something these to people poor people they live there's they have a life sentence these terrible people that did these terrible things they may not have got they may not have gotten a sentence but these the families of these victims did. have a life sentence all of those who didn't get the chance to have their kids get married and have families and um, graduate and all these different things that you expect when you have a child, they have to live with mm-hmm. that. And that is just the most tragic part of that. Mm-hmm. The last thing I was just going to say is um, that although the police really, really screwed up in this one, like all of them involved really did mess up. Um, this is no hatred against them because there's so many people in Canada, like police work that is done so wonderfully, but 
mm-hmm. everywhere you're going to find a you're going to find a place where the police work is just not great and things happen and you're We've like, already How can that told happen? three three stories of where the police did great police work mm-hmm. but this was unfortunately one of those stories where things they were missed didn't. and things were lost but thank heavens but, yeah. we do have police officers that more often than not do do great their police job work. and they and do so we want for, to and they help lives. regardless mm-hmm. but unfortunately every story comes to a close and so this story and this case has to yeah. come to a, con- a conclusion too but we would yeah. like to give some thank yous really quick mm-hmm. we have some sources the, some of the places where we did find some of our information was the Canadian Encyclopedia. Britannica were the most help, but we also got some information from CBC, CTV, and The Guardian, and some others, which you can find the informa- some of that information on our in the show notes. And also, the link um, is in our show notes to our website, which is where you can find all of our sources. We would love it if you followed us on our social medias. You search on Facebook, True Crime from A to Z. You can join our our discussion group where we discuss the every case. And we would love to be able to hear from you and hear what your thoughts are on this case we and every case. Appreciate, we would just appreciate a very... Healthy debates is fine, but a very welcoming Mm. and kind environment because these are real people's lives that we are dealing with. Even if we're talking about it in the way that we are, real people's lives were affected by these cases. Mm -hmm. And you can also find us at True Crime A to Z on Instagram and also our Facebook pages. That's the handle for both. And crime underscore A to Z is where you can find us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And this podcast was created and hosted by us, Sydney and Shakira. Mm-hmm. And the research, production, and editing was done by Ernest. And the theme song is by Heart Song Studios and additional music by AMBC. We would love five-star reviews and also case suggestions and any thoughts you may have just give us a just send us a message or in our bios we have a link to the case suggestions and remember give hugs not slugs